Good morning. My name is Scott Gill, one of the elders here at the downtown campus of Bethel Bible Church. Uh, Eric Barton, our campus pastor, is not able to be here today, so um, I'm filling in. Uh, he will be back next week, clearly to patch up the holes that I'm about ready to create. So, um, look, with, with all those holes being created, feel free. To, uh, Jeff's going to put a number up here. Uh, here shortly. You can text in questions about the sermon. And, and the beauty of what we've got going on, going on here today is I get to do this, uh, realizing that I'm going to stir up a hornet's nest. I'm going to leave Eric to, to settle down the bees. So text uh, all the questions you want today about today's sermon. Uh, look, first of all, I just want to welcome you. Uh, for those of you new to uh, Bethel, uh, I am not the, the pastor, uh, but uh, we want to welcome you. And uh, look, there, uh, that number up there, you can kind of text uh, information about yourself. Uh, we'll be glad to respond, give you some information about Bethel, and we'd love to get more information about you. And if uh, you want to do it the old-fashioned way, if you're like me, have gray hair, and don't get into the text thing, there's a little card somewhere in one of the seat backs in front of you. Uh, I invite you to take out one of those cards, fill it out, and there's a little black box over there by the door when you exit. Just drop that off, and again, we'll reach out to you and, and uh, uh, make contact with you. Uh, with regards to announcements today, we don't really have a lot, but if you go to your bulletin, uh, you'll see some things about missions uh, and I just want to draw your attention to, to three things. Number one, we really want to encourage you uh, to go on a missions trip uh, with this church. Uh, if that's not in your bailiwick, uh, then we certainly would encourage you to support uh, the missions of the church. And, and the third thing, uh, we really covet your prayers uh, for those that we go out and reach, for those that go out and do the reaching, and, and for the purpose of those missions. So just uh, take a look at those, and, and again, just uh, try to go uh, support or, or be in prayer about those. Well, look, over the past few weeks, our church has been in a sermon series entitled The Good Fight. We've been working our way through Paul's second letter to Timothy. Uh, it's a letter written by a leader sitting in a prison cell in Rome, a church leader written uh, by a man sitting in a prison cell in Rome. It's a, it's a letter written uh, to the, uh, during the time when the church was under severe persecution. Uh, matter of fact, at this point in time, uh, the execution of Paul is very near at hand. And it's a letter written to a church leader of a major church in Ephesus uh, who is under duress. Maybe you've felt this way. Maybe you just, just have felt like you've had the snot beat out of you. You've been thrown down on hot asphalt, kicked while you're down, only to look up and, and to see a steamroller bearing down on you. Yet as we've gone through 2 Timothy and as we read elsewhere in the scriptures, for the Christian trials are to be expected and we're called to rejoice in our suffering and that concept may sound a little bit strange but the bible says that it's good and so we we come today to this this letter in timothy and paul is encouraging timothy that it's good that it's very good and we'll, we'll unpack that that concept in just a minute here's an oldie but goodie um it's a wanted sign that says this lost dog and then there's a, a character of a, a mutt below that, and it says this below that character. It says, three legs, blind in one eye, missing right ear, broken tail, recently castrated. Answers to the name Lucky. Now, I know Lucky's a secular name, so you can transcribe that in your mind every time I say it. Blessed, that's fine. But you see, I, I, think, I think that's what we have here in 2 Timothy is an older Lucky writing to a younger lucky. You see, Paul is encouraging Timothy 
to fight the good fight, to endure, to continue in God's word because God has purpose. It's to fulfill what the Lord has intended. So open your Bibles, if you will, to 2 Timothy. We're going to be in chapter 3, verses 10 through 17 today. And so uh, let me just start with reading of God's word. I'll start in verse 10. I'll read this, and then we'll come back and unpack God's word. Starting in verse 10, it says, You, Timothy, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from them all it was the Lord that rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and impostors will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, Timothy, continue in. Stay grounded in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you have learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. You see, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. This is God's word. And with that being read, just let me go to our big idea for the day. And that big idea is this. Godly men and women are developed through endurance and by his word. I'll repeat that. Godly men and women are developed through endurance and by his word. So let's start unpacking what we have here today. And if you look at this eight-verse passage, what I've done is, I, I don't know if this is right or wrong, but I've, I've kind of broken it down into to two parts uh, to, to help us with uh, today's sermon. Verses 10 through 13, the first four verses that we're going to cover, deals with godly men being developed through endurance. And then 14 through 17 deals with godly men being developed by his word. So let's start off with verse 10. And... What you, you see as this starts off is, is a, a marker, a contextual marker. In the Greek, it's de. Um, and contextually, what this marker does is it creates a contrast. It means on the other hand. Your translation might have the word now or the word but there. Uh, here in the ESV, the word is uh, translated as however. So Paul is setting up a contrast for Timothy in this letter. So it's probably a good idea for us to, to look back at what's to be in contrast as we go forward. And so if you look back to verses one through nine, and Eric preached on this last week, uh, we won't rehash that detail, but let me just kind of read through this uh, to reset your thinking, to refresh your thinking for what lies ahead in verses 10 through 17. I'm gonna begin in, in verse two. Uh, again, this speaks to the godless man. It says, for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient, to their parents. My kids are sitting here. I hope they heard that. Um, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous. You guys can get me back now. Um, <clears throat> without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. Avoid such people, for among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women, not like Jill, Capture weak women, burdened with sins, and led astray by various passions, always learning and never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. Just hang on to that last phrase, never able to arrive at the knowledge of the truth, because we're going to talk about the Word of God uh, in the second part of this, this sermon. So go back to verse 10. 
So in contrast to the godless man that we just read about, Paul writes Timothy, but you, Timothy, a godly man, have followed. Now, I'm going to just pause on um, have followed for a minute because I want, to, I want you to understand the gravity of the verb and, and the gravity of the, the Greek form of that verb. The word means to follow closely. And some of your translations might have that adverb along with the word, followed closely. Um, the, the Greek here carries the meaning to follow in such a way as to conform one's behavior to a system of instruction or, or teaching. So it carries this concept of conformity. So keep that in mind in, in terms of what the word means. And then with respect to <clears throat> the Greek text here, uh, the, the verb is what they call an aorist indicative. What does that mean? Well, uh, as an aorist, the action of the verb is presented as a, a snapshot event. And when uh, with the uh, indicative mood, it, it typically denotes a pastime. And in English, we, we think of our, our, our past tense. And, and that's kind of what you see here. It's, it's translated. But here's what's, what's interesting about it. As an indicative, the verb is being presented by the writer as something that's actual, uh, as something that the writer considers to be real. Uh, for those of you who may remember the movie Stripes, uh, uh, John Winger, uh, uh, you know, the, anyway, uh, when, when that unit was, was at their graduation from boot camp, the reviewing officer asked them if they finished basic training on their own, and John Winger says, that's the fact, Jack. And that's, that's really what, what, what Paul is saying here. He's, he's saying, I consider it a reality. I, I consider it a fact, Timothy, that you have closely followed. And, and the reason I, I bring that up is because what you see throughout this letter is, is encouragement. Paul is expressing his confidence in Timothy that he has closely followed. And so let's go on to the, to the list here where what, what uh, Paul is expressing to Timothy. You, Timothy, however, have closely followed my teaching. This would be uh, my instruction. And this would have included uh, any and all means by which uh, Timothy learned from Paul. I'm sure Timothy heard many of Paul's sermons. I would imagine that, that Timothy had lots of group time and even one-on-one -on -one instruction from Paul over the many years that they, they traveled Timothy had the opportunity to observe Paul. And speaking of observing Paul's actions, Paul continues, you, Timothy, have closely followed my conduct. This would be a my behavior. And, and, and actually, contextually in the Greek, that would mean his overt daily behavior. You see, proper instruction begets proper conduct. Paul continues to Timothy, my aim in life, my purpose. And what was Paul's purpose? It was to live for Christ. Start peeling that onion back. It was to be the apostle to the Gentiles, to preach the good news of Jesus Christ, to glorify his Savior. If you want to have an interesting conversation with family or your life group or, or your spouse, ask this question. What's your purpose in life? Don't pull out Rick Warren's book. Just, just, you just, this is the only book you need. What's my purpose in life? And then ask them this. How do you know that's your purpose? And after they struggle with those, ask, how do you know it's the right purpose? So I think Paul kind of gives us a little bit of a clue here because your purpose is, is determined by learning what is right and then, doing the, uh, and then doing them right. Paul continues. My faith. See, to Paul, faith was more than, than just a word. 
It was the foundation on which he purposed his life. And he continues with my patience. This is going to get hard here. You see, this is uh, an emotion. This is a state of emotion in the face of provocation, in the, in the face of duress, in the face of misfortune. But being in that state of emotion without complaint or irritation. You know, James uh, in his epistle writes this. He says, count it all joy. Count it total joy. Count it whole joy. Count it complete joy when you face trials of various kinds. It's getting your head on straight. It's having the right attitude in the face of suffering. Then he says this, my love, and this is agape love. You could, you could preach a whole series of sermons on agape love. It's, it's unconditional love. It's sacrificial love. It's love that is selfish, selfless, not love that is selfish. It's uh, love that's action-based, not emotion-based. And he continues on with that. My steadfastness. Now, I think the better translation is, is the word endurance. And what the Greek here means is that it means to bear up, to bear up under difficult circumstances. And, and it carries with that the concept is to bear up under difficult circumstances over time. So, so think of a marathon runner. It takes endurance training to run the 60, 26 miles uh, of a marathon. Now, most of us in this room could probably go out, run, jog, walk, a 50-yard dash. But it takes endurance to go the 26 miles of a marathon. We need endurance training, and we need to understand the no pain, no gain aspect of endurance training. And then Paul finishes with, with these two. He says this, starting in verse 11. My persecutions and sufferings my oppressions, my harassments, my pain, my anguish. And with those last two, Paul starts a, a, a transition. He, he takes these two characteristics that likely struck a, a chord with Timothy, and he says this, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra. So something happened there. Something um, Paul said there was to trigger a thought in, in Timothy's mind. So let me just set this up, if, if you don't mind. Paul is sitting in a prison cell in Rome. It's around 67 AD. Timothy uh, is in Ephesus, obviously feeling pressure of the day. So Paul triggers a thought. He, he, he triggers something in Timothy's mind to bring him back, to take him back. Take him back to see the reason for persecutions and suffering and to see them in the light of right teaching, right conduct, right purpose, right faith, right patience right love and endurance. So let's go back 20 years. And if you turn with me back to Acts chapter 13. Acts chapter 13. This is around 47 AD. Luke records Paul's first missionary journey. Paul and Barnabas are in Antioch, Syria. This isn't the same Antioch that we get in 2 Timothy. This is Antioch, Syria. Paul and Barnabas depart they go west, sail to the island of Cyprus. They preach there a couple of times. Then they go, sail up north, go into the Galatia. They move inland uh, to the city of Antioch. And we're going <clears> to <throat> drop down to verse 44. And then it says this. The next Sabbath, almost the whole city, now this is going to be Antioch and Galatia, gathered to hear the word of the Lord. But when the Jews saw, that the, saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what was spoken by Paul, reviling him. 
And Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly, saying, It was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you. Since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life, behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. And then down in 48, it says this. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying in the word of the Lord. And as many were appointed to eternal life, believed. And the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region. But the Jews incited the devout women <clears throat> of high standing and the leading men of the city stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and drove them out of their district. So what did Paul and Barnabas do? They go further east, the next town of Iconium. And you can read about that in, in chapter 14. But a very similar thing happens. As a matter of fact, they're threatened to be stoned in Iconium. And so they go further east to the town of Lystra. And you can read about that in just a little bit, but let's drop down to, to, to 19 and kind of get to the conclusion of this. In verse 19, chapter 14, it says this, but the Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. So you see what Paul's done in this letter to Timothy? He's taking Timothy back to a beginning. Why? Because godly men and women are developed through endurance. It's a, it's a process. And Paul is, is writing to take Timothy's mind some 20 years before, to roughly 47 AD. He's wanting Timothy to understand that concept, that endurance is a process. You see, stoning was, was a form of capital punishment. It was, intended, it was intended for death. And we can read in verse 20 of chapter 14 of Acts, uh, it says this when the disciples gathered around Paul Paul rose up but what did he do? he went back into the city of Lystra where he was just stoned and then the next day he and Barnabas head southeast to the town of Derby. and then after that they come back to Lystra where he was stoned then Iconium and the Antioch and why did he do that? was it to get revenge? no no let's read in verse 21 it says when they had finished pre when they had and when they had preached the gospel to that city, that being Derby, and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraged them to continue in faith and saying that through many trials, we must enter the kingdom of God. You see, this Paul answers to the name Lucky. His disciples answer to the name Lucky. Now, later in the book of Acts, uh, we can read later in the latter part of chapter 15 and into chapter 16, we get to Paul's second missionary journey. This time, he and Barnabas go separate ways. Paul and Silas head north by land, turn left into Galatia, go to Derby and to Lystra. And when they get to Lystra this time, it's, you know, call it 49 AD, they meet Timothy, a young disciple raised by faithful and commendable women, that being Eunice and Lois, his mother and grandmother. Now, Timothy was likely in Lystra when Paul was first stoned a couple of years before this. Now, whether Timothy witnessed that or he witnessed Paul's ministry, the, the, the scriptures don't tell us. But, but even so, Timothy was very much likely aware of what happened to Paul two years prior when he was in Lystra. So Timothy knew intimately here in this letter what Paul meant. It marked only the beginning of what Paul was to endure. So let's go back to 2 Timothy chapter 3, the end of verse 11. <clears throat> My persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured. He endured those persecutions. And 
you know, when you think about that second missionary trip, shortly thereafter that, they head to, and Timothy's joined them, they, they head over to Europe, they go to Philippi. Paul and Silas are beaten and jailed. Timothy would have known that. Matter of fact, if you have your, your Bibles, if you can quick flip, flip quickly to uh, 2 Corinthians. In chapter 11, this is around 57 AD, Paul writes this, puts this in his letter uh, to the church of Corinth. He says, five times I received at the hands of the Jews 40 lashes less one. Uh, for those of that, you that do common core math, that's 39. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers. In toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, and hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. You know what's amazing about that letter? If you were to flip to the very beginning of the Second Corinthians, Timothy was with Paul when he wrote that. Timothy knew all of the sufferings that Paul endured. So Paul is just triggering that thought. It's a process. You're lucky. It's a process. And then look how Paul finishes verse 11. After he says that persecutions which I endured, Paul then preaches God's grace in action. He says this, yet from them all, that means every one of them, the Lord rescued me. By grace, through faith, God rescued Paul. And, and to be sure that, that Timothy understood the, the gravity of, of, of Paul's message here, he gives him verse 12. And so here we see the prosperity gospel. The prosperity gospel preached here in Bethel Bible Church. Right here it is. Verse 12. It says this. Indeed, all, and that means everyone, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus might be persecuted, could be persecuted, will be persecuted. You know, I like what the, the uh, Nelson Study Bible has to say about this verse. It says this, God does not promise you deliverance from persecution. He promises deliverance through persecution. Now, look, the reason for our suffering is, is not mentioned immediately here. We'll, we'll actually get to that uh, in verse 17. But other scripture makes it very clear, the purpose of our suffering. James writes in his epistle, For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness, that is endurance, have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Peter writes in his epistle, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And Paul writes in Romans, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us Matthew records Jesus' words uh, in his gospel. It says this, Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute, persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you, falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. And back in 2 Timothy, Paul had already mentioned this to Timothy before, but if you go back to chapter 2, Paul says this, If we endure, if we endure, we will also reign. That's not we might reign or we could reign. It says we will also 
reign with him. You see, Timothy would have been taught that there's reward in the suffering, that there's gain in the pain of endurance training, both, both in the present and in the eternal. Jeff, if you can go to that graphic, uh, that'd be great. I like to think of uh, all of chapter 3 in, in this way. Verses 10 through 13 speaks to a, a horizontal axis uh, that speaks to endurance, that, that speaks to all that we've seen in, in chapter 10, uh, endurance through, through trials, and, and, and the vertical axis speaks to uh, continuing in the Word of God in truth uh, through Scripture. And being led by the Holy Spirit, that's what builds up the man of God. And that's what Paul is preaching here in, in 10 through 17, building up to the man of God growing in truth, growing in endurance. Now, in contrast to that, as we talked about last week, is, is uh, you know, the opposite of, of growing in truth is deception. The uh, opposite of endurance is, is discontinuance. When you're self-led, you, you, you fall into the gravity of, of, of depravity. That's the godless man. And I think that's why, you know, Paul just reminds him here in verse 13. He says this, while evil people, godless people, and imposters, that would be magicians and sorcerers, um, they will go from bad to worse. That is, they will advance further, deceiving and being deceived as air feeds on itself. Slight deviations from the truth turn into great divides over time. And so, um, godly men must be able to distinguish between the truth and deception. And thus we read in verses 14 and 15, we see this. But as for you, Timothy, continue in or be grounded in what you have learned and have firmly believed. I'm going to hit the pause button on those verbs yet again because we see the same thing that we saw in verse 10. We see the aorist indicative, all right? That's a fact, Jack. Paul firmly believes that Timothy has learned and that he firmly believes. Words of encouragement from the old lucky to the young lucky. And just as we saw back in verses 10 through 11, Paul's going to trigger a thought to take Timothy back in time to take him to the beginning of his learning of God's word, just to encourage Timothy to continue in God's word. And so we see that here in verse 14. But as for you, Timothy, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it. And I read that as um, Paul is referring to himself. It's Paul's testimony as well as his teaching to Timothy over the years. From whom you have learned it and, from, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings. Paul is now taking Timothy, not just from his time with himself, but all the way back to his childhood. Back to the teachings of Eunice and Lois. Back when he was a, a, a boy. Matter of fact, the Greek word for childhood there is, is the word babe. Not, not, not as a hottie, not as a hottie here but as a, a, a young boy, a little boy. Matter of fact, the Jewish tradition is that they started learning the law at the age of five. And then Paul makes this doctrinal statement here. He says this, the word of God is able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. There's a, there's a, a relationship, a linkage between the word of God and salvation. And, and that linkage has to do with wisdom. You see, the, the Bible does three things for us. Number one, it reveals our need for salvation, our need for a Savior. Number two, it reveals God's plan for salvation, his plan in Christ to reconcile fallen man to himself and to one another. And it helps to give us assurance of our salvation. And it does this through faith in Christ Jesus. 
I like what uh, Constable's Notes has to say about this section of Second uh, Timothy. And uh, when I wrote this down, I forgot to list the uh, correct author to it. It's, it's, it's in Constable's Notes, but that's, I guess, my fault for not doing it. But anyway, it says, we must know the Bible because it is through the mastery of the word that God masters us. Isn't that cool? Through the mastery of the word, God masters us. And this is a cool thing too. And changes our lives into the examples we need to be. Why? Because godly men and women are developed by the word. Someone once wrote this. It says, the Bible does not just contain the word of God or become the word of God. It is the word of God. So let's move on to 16 and 17. And I know there's been lots of sermons preached on this, so I'm going to go through it fairly quickly. It's a very familiar passage that says this. All scripture, literally the totality of the sacred writings are God-breathed. They're divinely inspired. Moreover, God's words are useful. They're helpful. They're profitable. And we see another list. First, they're profitable for teaching. Your translation might say uh, doctrine. Teaching is, is oriented towards knowledge and information. Right teaching is, is fundamental to the spread of the, of the gospel. Matter of fact, just go back to the beginning of the church in, in Acts chapter 2 and in verse 42, uh, it says this, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. The early church was committed to right doctrine. And, and look, that's why we here at Bethel Bible Church, we, we don't rely on, on what an elder says or even what a pastor says for that matter. We lean on the word of God. It's our filter. It, it, it's, our, it's our procedures manual. And guess what? One of us might not get it right. And that's why we also believe in the um, plurality of leadership, a community of believers rightly dividing the word of truth. And so look, while, while teaching is, is oriented toward knowledge and information about who God is and what he has done, the next three involve a change in life. And, and knowledge without a life change Knowledge without a life change is useless. So the, the, the usefulness of God's word is changing one's life through, first of all, reproof. Uh, and that's through correct doctrine. Is, it's the demonstration or the proof of wrongdoing. Uh, just as teaching instructs us in what is true, reproof rebukes us for that which is amiss. For correction, um, the Greek here means to, 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 to straighten uh, to correct a failure, to, to correct a fault, and in training in righteousness. So it's, it's to provide instruction with the intent of um, uh, proper habits of, of behavior. Correction and training direct us in that which is good. So finally, in verse 17, we get the big payoff. So why is all that useful stuff in, in verse 16 so profitable? Uh, or for that matter, why is endurance so profitable to the man of God? It's so that the man of God may be complete, fully trained, brought to an end, equipped for every good work. The soldier, fully trained and equipped to accomplish his assignment in battle. The athlete, fully trained and equipped to run the race of endurance and be crowned in victory. The farmer, fully trained and equipped to harvest the fields that are before him. You know, Paul previously wrote to the church of Ephesus, and he had to say this. He said, For you have been saved by grace through faith, and this is not of your own doing. It's the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one can boast. For you are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. So you're his workmanship, Mr. Lucky. You're his workmanship, Mrs. Lucky. You, as was Timothy, were created in Christ Jesus 
and you have a job to do. You have purpose. Therefore, endure. And continue in his word. So let me, let me wrap this up with, with three implications. Uh, first of all, from the perspective of Timothy, be encouraged. Sure, we go through this life looking a lot like Lucky, often feeling like Lucky looks, but we have a God that saves, delivers, and rescues, and it may not be to our timing or the, or the way that we think, but God's ways are perfect, they're straight, they're good. Therefore, they're better. And, and let's, let's not forget what the author of Hebrews says as, as he ends his uh, epistle. He, leads these, he writes these words of encouragement. So be encouraged. Let us lay aside every weight and every sin that clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider Jesus who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. And it says this down in verse seven. This, is, this, is, this ought to grab your heart. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. God Almighty is treating you as a son. And in verse 11, for the moment all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. But there's a catch to those who have been trained by it. So be encouraged. Secondly, from the perspective of Paul, be an encourager. You know, this part of the scripture clearly tells us that all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. It's not a new concept. It's found throughout scripture. But as a community of believers, as a fellowship of brothers and sisters in Christ, we need, we need to encourage one another. To, to come alongside one another. And look, not all of us are gifted uh, with words of encouragement. So uh, I'm not, but I brought along uh, Jill. She's a, a Stepford wife. And so I thought maybe it'd be good to, for you to hear some words of encouragement that I'm not capable of doing. Jill, could you, why don't you tell us what you would tell your husband if he forgot your anniversary? Don't feel bad, honey. I forgot it was our anniversary too. Isn't that sweet? Uh, okay, let's, let's assume that your husband worked all week long. He's been out of town. He's, he's worked 12 hours a day. He gets home, and the only day off, he wants to go see the Rangers game. What, what, what do you say to him then? You're going out with the boys tonight? You work so hard. Enjoy yourself. Huh? Is that sweet? That's sweet. Oh, here's one for all the guys. You're out driving, and you refuse to ask for instructions. Jill, what would you tell your husband? You're right. We don't need directions. Maybe you'll find a shortcut. Huh? Good stuff. All right, look, those, 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 those words ring shallow. I know it. I know. But anyway, wishful thinking on my part. Um, look, as disciples, we come along one another. We, we, um, we love our brother. We pray for them. We, we, we share the hope that's with inside of us. We share Jesus. But, but just realize this. You don't rescue your brother. God rescues. Your job is to disciple, to come alongside, to encourage. You know, Mike Hall uh, brought up a few weeks ago a crucial point about discipleship. It, it, it takes time. It takes your time. You have to invest your time. It, it takes effort. Um, it takes your effort. It takes endurance to disciple. Third implication for today is uh, be in the Bible. I like to tell people, don't just read the Bible, study it. 
Look, there's some great text out there that, that'll tell you and teach you how to study the Bible. Uh, look, at, at Bethel Bible, we've got great teachers across all three campuses. Uh, look, I think we're blessed to have Eric, Pat, uh, Eric Barton as our pastor. He is a very, very gifted teacher. I enjoy our Tuesday mornings together. Uh, I learned so much uh, from that man as a, as a teacher. Um, but also, let me just suggest that you study in a group, uh, a, a group that's sound in doctrine. Um, let iron sharpen iron. Uh, there's a lot of men's group, there's a lot of women's group uh, within the church, and, and if you have problems plugging in, just, just ask an elder, a deacon, or a staff. And Look, I, I'll, I'll say this. Pray that God will give you an appetite for the scriptures. And I'll end with one final thought here. Um, as we go through life, oftentimes looking like lucky, feeling like lucky looks, we know that this life is temporal. James writes in his epistle, what is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. See, there's an eternity. So here's the thought. There's an economy beyond this world and it's better. It's, it's much, much better. My, my wife and I have been uh, trying to put together some uh, life group materials for uh, the epistle of James. Uh, and, and one of the things that we found very interesting in, in the, the first chapter of James is that there's this amazing contrast between uh, the biblical view of suffering and the world view of, of suffering. Uh, the biblical view is, is, is this, seek joy in, in the suffering. The world view says, seek pleasure and avoid suffering. The biblical view talks to endurance. The world view is immediate gratification. Biblical view, glory in Christ. World view, glory in yourself. Be quick to hear, be slow to speak, be slow to anger. Be quick to speak, be quick to anger, be slow to hear. Speak words of life. Speak up for yourself. Be in the world, but not of it. Be in the world and of the world. You know, as, as we went through those, those, those contrasts, they're pure contrast. They are mutually exclusive. They're black and white. There, there are no 50 shades of gray. Uh, John writes this in his, his uh, first epistle. He says this, Do not love the world or things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, the pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. And then, you know, you just got to love James. He just, he hammers it home this way. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God? Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us? You know, um, last Sunday before first service, uh, I typically sit right there by my lovely bride. Um, I was listening to the music that was playing before the service, and there was an old hymn on there that just, just, uh, just touched me. And maybe you're familiar with it. The refrain goes something like this. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full into his wonderful face. And the things of this earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. And for those of you who know that hymn, the third verse goes like this. It says... His word shall not fail you, he promised. Believe him and all will be well. Then the things 
then go to a world that is dying, his salvation, his perfect salvation to tell. So yeah, turn your eyes to Jesus and the things of this world will indeed grow, grow strangely dim. Look, maybe you're here today and, and the words preached sound a little bit strange. I know the accent probably does. But, but the words sound strange to you or, or maybe when you hear us preach a, a prosperity gospel that says all who desire to live a godly life will be persecuted and that seems 180 degrees out of phase that uh, you hear someone say that we're to count it all joy in our suffering and, and that it's good. Well, we do and it is. So look, I invite you to discover and to experience this Jesus to simply believe in the one who saves. Salvation is yours by grace through faith in Christ Jesus. Or maybe you're here today and you've already trusted in Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Well, I invite you to consider today's passage. Train for endurance. Don't, don't fight it. Don't hide from it. Don't run from it. And train in the study of God's word. Don't ignore it. Because as Paul encouraged Timothy nearly 2,000 years ago, we know that godly men and women are developed through endurance and by his word. And it's good. It's very good. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just uh, we thank you for your word. Uh, we thank you for the truth that is your word. Lord, we just thank you for how it reveals to us who you are and what you have done, our need for a savior, your perfect plan of salvation and the assurance of our salvation. Lord, we just thank you for that. Lord, I know there's probably some men and women in this, this room right now that are suffering to some degree or another, a trial. Uh, Lord, I just ask that uh, they feel your presence, that you give them wisdom, uh, not, and this may sound strange, not, not to end the trial, but that they endure, that they be trained by it, that they are developed into the one, one that you want them to be developed into. And Lord, for the, the, those of us that, that aren't, may, may we just come alongside our brother and sister and encourage them uh, just to offer them hope, the hope that's already inside of them, that's inside of us. Lord, we uh, also just pray that uh, everybody here just uh, has an appetite for your word. Lord, we just pray these things in the name of your son. Amen. Well, thank you all for being very patient. I know Jill appreciates your patience. Uh, we're going to stand, and I'll have a benediction, and then we'll be dismissed. So if everybody would stand, that'd be great. I'm going to go to Hebrews. The author of the letter of Hebrews uh, ends the letter this way. He says this, Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. You're dismissed. Thank you. Every, everything.